Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you listening online, good morning to you. We are having a topical message this morning. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 3. Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 3. We will stand and take verses 7 through 14, and then I'll give the title and the text. Please stand for the reading of God's word, beginning at verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God In Christ Jesus. Please be seated. Forgetting those things. That's the title of this morning's message. And after reading that, it's it's nothing left to say. You just want to close in prayer or just keep reading it. How do you improve upon any of that? Well, you cannot. And yet, God has ordained preaching. And the text is verse 13. But one thing forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Such an inspirational letter, this letter of Paul. It is one of my favorites. This one and 2 Timothy are are just always so inspiring to me. Here in uh, the beginning of our text in verse 13, where he says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended He admits to having imperfect devotion to God, and yet he speaks of this devotion, and we reading it, knowing the background of this man's life, we are often just so impressed by how much devotion we lack in comparison to a servant like Paul. And yet, even though he is imperfect with his devotion, he has formulated a response He's formulated a response to being imperfect. Instead of just saying, you know, I I don't have what it takes. I I cannot achieve the goals that Christ has set before us. I, I might as well just not even try. Instead of doing that, he says, well, I'm not perfect, but this is what I can do. This is one thing. But this one thing. He has narrowed things down in spite of this downside of his walk as he sees it. And we who believe can identify with that very easily. That phrase, one thing, it is an important 
Christian phrase. It shows up quite a few times in Scripture, enough times to get our attention and hold it. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, one thing you lack. He said that to a a searching heart, someone who was searching to devote more of their life in Christ. And that's what Christ said, one thing you lack. Again, he said, one thing is needful, as he explained to Martha, who was criticizing her sister for not doing enough to help her. There was a blind man who received his sight. And he said to the Pharisees, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see, because Jesus has touched me. And then there is David, the psalmist of Israel, the sweet psalmist of Israel. He said, one thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after. And he he went on to express his desire to behold the beauty of the Lord. And so this is uh, something that uh, we should be interested in. But one thing. It is easy to be busy with many things. But to narrow it down to one thing so that the many things do not cause us to neglect that one thing. Now, understood, we have many things we have to do, many responsibilities. But we have to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to major in minor things, but that we major in the major things, in our quest for Christian perfection. And this morning, we're speaking about forgetting those things, but we have to identify what those things are so we can concentrate on that one thing. And so again, forgetting those things which are behind. Well, looking at his own past, he had, it was blasphemous. He persecuted the church. It's all recorded there in Acts 7 and Acts 8 and Acts chapter 9. We we read of his conversion on his way to further persecute the church. And he talks about this in 1 Timothy also. He says, I was a blasphemer. I persecuted the church. Well, Paul takes that zeal that he had against the church and he uses it to uphold the church, to build the church, to spread the church. And when we say church, of course, we mean Uh, those things that belong to Christ. He is a man who was not enslaved by his past. Some people are. If anyone, if anyone in the New Testament, in the Scripture, if anyone made Satan pay for lying to him about Jesus Christ, it was Paul. That doesn't mean others weren't doing it too, but you, you cannot escape that truth that he made Satan pay for lying to him about Jesus Christ. And in doing this, he had to refuse to allow his past to paralyze him. He could have said, you know, I'm just not worthy to preach the gospel. I'm not worthy to serve Christ. I persecuted the church. And he could have been paralyzed right there. Instead, he counterattacks with his life. He spends his life going against Satan. By going for Christ. Our memories, they can be determined, tenacious, to replay over and over some injury of the past, some slight of yesterday. We have to learn to fend off these things or else we will grow in resentment. We will be paralyzed. We won't be able to serve. Someone did not say hello to me the right way. Someone didn't do this or something didn't happen. 
One thing that I find that helps me fend off resentment in life is remembering that every misery missed is a blessing. There are so many miseries that God has shielded me from. And because some uh, make it through, I have to settle that in my head. What's going on with this? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Because if you don't settle it, you may turn against God or yourself or others. This man, Paul, he was stoned, or when he was stoned, or when he was caned, or when he was scourged, he had to forget that traumatic moment or those traumatic moments and move forward, or else it all would have stopped. And we're amazed. We see him get stoned, believed to death, and he gets up and he goes into the very city from where the people who throw the stones at him came from. He turned his back on those things that hindered his ministry for Christ. Anything contrary to Jesus Christ found in his education prior to Jesus Christ, he kicked out. This is not often practiced. Well, maybe it is more often than what I could ever determine, but I know that some don't do this. Some seek to salvage Some come to Christ and they want to mix and they want to mingle and they want to maneuver somehow uh, into their theology some favorite error that they picked up along the way. They sort of Christianize some human teaching. And this is something that uh, Paul makes it very clear that that wasn't the case with him. Look at verse 4 if you still have your Bibles open in Philippians chapter 3. And there he says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. It's all rubbish. It's all trash if it is contrary to Christ. I don't care where I got it from and how much work I put into it. If it goes against Jesus Christ, it is junk. And that's how he lived his life. And the Holy Spirit, who authored this in this man's life, wanted us to know about it. Wanted us to think about it, to meditate on these things. And reaching forward, he says, to those things which are ahead. Serving Jesus. Better off without those things that hinder, that paralyze, that tear down instead of building up. By this time in his life, he had achieved so much in his serving Jesus Christ. He had already written so many letters, established so many churches. There are some, it can be said of them, as one author said, when they look back, it is with regret. When they look ahead, it is with fear. And when they look around, it is with complaint. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to have my life managed by regret I do not want to live in fear, and I don't want to be that person that turns lights off in a room 
by my incessant complaints. There's always something to complain about. I think one the men, perhaps more so than the women, have to guard against this when it comes to church. I think that the men may be more prone to complaining on the way home about the service, about the church, uh, than the women, as a rule. Um, I have no way to prove that, um, but it is something to consider nonetheless. Paul, reaching forward without looking backwards at those things that harm. Well, there were things to look backwards at that you don't want to lose, of course, but there are other things, and we know what they are. We don't need a teacher to come along and say, don't look back at that. We already know. He still has to visit Rome. He still has to write First and Second Timothy as we know them, and Titus and Hebrews. He hasn't gotten to those things yet, but he will. He never would have gotten to them if he kept dragging up the past and letting it interfere with his present. Yesterday's failures, we all have them. We are shaped by them. We are forged by how we handle those things that have been against us in our lives. Some yesterday loss that may be chewing on you still. It could have been decades ago. And you younger Christians who have not been around long enough to stack up their yesterday regrets, they're coming. Get ready now. Have the resolve now that you will forget those things that are behind and reach forward to those things which are ahead. Samuel, that great prophet of God, the only rebuke that Samuel received that we know of or that is in Scripture, was for his excessive sorrow over Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we read, Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. Now, Yahweh said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. There it is. There is those things. For Samuel, it was the regret over Saul that he had to forget. He had to get past that if he was going to continue to be used by God. At least in the large way. Samuel's continual, continued mourning over Saul kept him from reaching forward. He mourned for Saul because he had anointed Saul. This was personal for him. He had such high hopes for this tall man who was the first king of Israel. He had taught him. He had directed him. He told him how to conduct himself. And it all collapsed. It all failed. All he had left were ashes, and it hurt. It hurt Samuel deeply. And that's why we find this great man of God mourning over yesterday. He was sick with failure. He was sick with disappointment. If God had only those kind of thoughts can tear us down, his hurt before God showed up and began to encourage him to go forward, his hurt made him useless in service. At least it greatly diminished it. Samuel was frozen because he could not forget the thing behind. 
To forget those things behind does not mean that we fail to remember. We have very little control over many things that come into our memory. But it does mean to go forward without their interference. And that I find to be key. We can make zombies of yesterday, harmful memories that are still alive and they shouldn't be alive, alive to the point of blocking what the Holy Spirit wants to do through us. Forget those things. What things? Useless things, hindrances. Forget, as in disallow, being dominated and enslaved, ruined or otherwise afflicted by yesterday. And the Bible is loaded with these kinds of stories. Naomi, Naomi was paralyzed by the past. She came home to, from, from across the Jordan and she said, I went out full and I've come back empty. And God breathed life back into Naomi. He changed the story. He used Ruth to do it. To remain besieged by past defeats past hurts and disappointments is to miss the one thing. And it's so easy to do. It is so easy to say to our hurt feelings, here are the keys. Here is the control to the rest of my life. You just take over from here on. Uh, that is disastrous. It's not being careless about the past that I'm talking about. It's having a disregard for those things in the past that stop us from plowing. Paul said, For the love of Christ compels us, not the regrets, not the failures, but it is the love of Christ. Love can see a long distance off. Love can see very far. The prodigal son, we are told in Luke, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. A love can see a long distance. And the scripture is constantly encouraging us to find that in ourselves through the spirit of God. But if love can see afar off, so can hate. Hate can see a long way too. This was the story with Joseph, Genesis 37. His brothers hated him. We pick it up there in the 18th verse. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. Which will it be? Let's talk about Joseph a little bit, because here is a man that demonstrated the very thing that Paul is writing to the Philippians about forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Later, after being sold by his brothers, he was then sold to Potiphar, and most of you know the story. Then he was jailed for obeying God, for holding true to God. He was jailed for obeying God in the house that he contributed so much to. He was a blessing where he was. We read in Genesis 39, And his master saw that Yahweh was with him, and that Yahweh made all he did 
to prosper in his hands. His own brothers sold him, and then he is sent to jail for refusing to sin. What taste did that leave in Joseph's mouth? What did that do to his religion, to his belief in God? To be so abandoned by God. No blessings going on. In fact, when something seemed to be a blessing, it turned into a disaster. But those things could not enslave his faith to bitterness. It did not work. If hell was trying to destroy the faith of Joseph, it failed. One of the best ways to cure our personal sorrow is to take interest in the service, even the sorrow of others. And that's why we read, I read it again, Genesis 39, verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So there's Joseph, sold by his brothers, never knowing if he's going to see his father ever again or his young brother Benjamin. And where he is, he serves. And he blesses that household. He blessed others. It's a simple theme that these things give to us. That we better not be controlled by yesterday's hurts today. It's not to our advantage. In the end, when uh, Jacob had died, those brothers that sold Joseph into slavery, of course, Joseph is now one of the leaders in Egypt, uh, next to the Pharaoh, he is the leader. And when Jacob died, as I said, the brothers were afraid. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. They did not forget those things which are behind. But this is a significant part of the story about this man, Joseph. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please, forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. Now here it comes. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. It hurt him that they would think that he was a vicious man. It hurt him to think that they thought that he was a petty man. He had put those things behind him. He had moved forward. He had gone out of his way to bring his family and to bless them and to establish them there in the land of Goshen. And in the end, they missed it because they didn't put it to rest. But he did. And so Joseph went on to say, as for you, you meant evil against me. You see, it's not to pretend that something did not happen. It's what do you do with what happened? Do you allow it to clobber you to death for the rest of your life? Or do you put it in its place? And Joseph goes on. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day. To save many people alive. You see, Joseph said, God was in this. I can't explain all of it, but I can explain enough of it. Through my hardship, many people were made alive 
or their lives were sustained by avoiding the famine. These lessons are all over Scripture. And when we read them and when we hear of them, they are supposed to make us stronger because they can make us stronger. Unless you've become so jaded in your faith, you think nothing will work. What an awful place to be. If you are that way, I encourage you to get around strong Christians so they can shine that stuff out of you. That is the way to remember and also forget the hard and bitter things of the past, to see them as God sees them, to see the hand of God in them, and to trust that He will make it good. Regardless of what others meant by their actions, what is God doing? Admittedly, it's it's very difficult sometimes to know what God is up to. It can take years to find out, as it did with Joseph. But by faith, he persevered. Forgetting and forgiving, a very big part of our faith. Sometimes it can be, if you let your feelings take over, forgiving is not going to happen. You'll have some B-grade forgiveness going on, but it won't be the forgiveness of Christ. It won't be the forgiveness that you love so much that you've received from Christ himself. Those things, they may gnaw us to death. But they're not stronger than God's care for us. And that's what is meant when Joseph said, you did it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph said, I kept my eyes on God. It was very difficult at times, but I kept my eyes on God. The prophet Joel was sent to tell Israel that something was eating their kingdom alive because of how they viewed God. And so he says, what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. It didn't stop. They kept coming. Human life is often eaten by sin. As the land of Israel was by the locust of idolatry. By the locust of losing sight of God. By the locust that willfully disobeys God. When I say willfully... I don't mean out of weakness. I mean they just have no care for him. Sometimes it's not a moral sin, but just a refusal to let go that keeps us from leaving those things behind that we can go forward, reach forward. Sometimes it's a choice to not trust God because, again, the feelings have taken over. Often insisting that we cannot when really it is we will not. But if we trust, if we trust this Lord Jesus to restore, we will forget those things. We will reach forward. We will wait for him. Again, Joel chapter 2. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. The prophet is saying, something is eating the kingdom alive. It is idolatry, wrong thoughts against God, sinful thoughts against God. But if, if you come to God, God will restore. The threshing floors will be full of wheat. God says he will restore what has been destroyed. Do you believe it or do you not? What if, <clears throat> what if you say, I do believe it? The question then comes, do you believe it only in this life? Or do you see beyond this life? 
Of course, the greater meaning is we always see the eternal because love sees afar off. We say we love Christ. We have a chance to prove these things to Christ. To forgive may be to suffer loss. Oftentimes it is. When you forgive somebody who's done you wrong, you suffer a loss in in some material sense or even emotionally. But to reach for God is greater than that loss. God will not be indebted. God will repay. He says, my reward is with me. Again, Joel chapter 2. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of Yahweh your God. That is an Old Testament principle that is also a New Testament truth. It is still available for us. So uh, let's get through whatever it is, says the Bible, says God. Some, again, cannot forget the past because they've not forgiven. Maybe others have done something to you and you just won't let it go. Or maybe you've done something to you and you won't forgive yourself. Or maybe you blame God. To forgive is to not ignore, but it is to settle it. It is to resolve the matter. It is to put it in its place before God. And not in its place before you or someone else. Who is not forgiven? Who refuses to forgive and still call Christ Lord? Will you be forgiven? Will you ever find strength in your faith if you go about life that way? Jesus said, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That if marks a choice when he says, if you don't forgive. He's saying, if you make that choice to not forgive, how can it go well with you? Forgiving others does not bring salvation It demonstrates it. It shows that we are submitted to Christ. It utilizes salvation. It puts salvation to work. When Paul said, work out your salvation to the Philippians, he's saying, make it work. Do something with it. Salvation is not something you just capture and uh, put inside of a trophy case. It is a tool. It is something that must find life through the one that is saved. David, as we considered this past Wednesday, his outpouring of love and praise to Yahweh, an Old Testament example of a New Testament fact. He pours out his love. He says, I will love you, O Yahweh, my strength. Jesus says this in the New Testament about that. Because David said that knowing how much he had been forgiven in his life, knowing how many things he had done wrong and how God had forgiven him. And he pours out, I love you, O Yahweh. Jesus says, therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. God says, I'll forgive every sin. But if you don't believe it, then you feel your forgiveness is little. It is small. It is very possible to overcome these internal boogeymen by faith. But faith really has to have this to go with it. True Christian faith must have endurance and perseverance at the same time. It must learn how to absorb a hit 
and still keep moving forward, at the very least, it must hope to look forward. That is perseverance. Because what can Satan do about that? When the apostles were beaten at first there in the book of Acts, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to be beaten in Christ's name. What could Satan do against them if that was their response? Some, as I mentioned, may have to forgive God. That resentment, your hurt makes you want to retaliate. Maybe you can't get to a particular person or you you refuse to get to yourself, so God is the next one up. If that is the case, you've not forgotten those things which are behind. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's Jeremiah he's quoting, and Jeremiah is upholding the same teachings that Joel was teaching on. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. So what's this bitterness towards God about? If you know he's going to be merciful to you, he's looking to forgive. And your sins, he's going to remember them no more. Your lawless deeds, he will remember no more. Put some of that love on others. Be delivered from yesterday's tyranny of failure. There is no need to wait for someone to apologize to you before you forgive them. Yeah, forgiveness and restoration are separate items. If they do not repent or apologize, is not dealt with and resolved, then restoration is going to be very difficult, if not impossible. But in the heart, we forgive because of Christ. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. This type of the forgiveness is the type of forgiveness that will not preoccupy itself with a grudge. I'll just let it go. Yep, they were wrong. But I'm not going to let it eat me up. I'm not going to look for uh, retaliation. Mark 11. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespass. Even if you can't do this, knowing you're supposed to do it, knowing you're supposed to agree with it, and wanting to agree with it goes a long way against hell. That alone, the desire, the desire to obey those things that seem too difficult for you, means something to Christ. Because the person that says, well, yeah, I don't like that, don't want it, have no interest in it, compared to the person that says, Lord, I want to. Show me how. Help me to do it. Which person would you rather share a foxhole with? The one that holds the grudge and is not interested in what Christ has to say about that? Or the one who looks to Jesus for everything in spite of their weakness? Why wait? Let it go. And there are some of you, either listening online, listening later, or listening right now, you still have a grudge. On something or someone, you're not benefiting from it, are you? It's not getting you a cheaper rate at the gas tank, is it? It's doing zilch, nothing for you but tearing you down. Let it go, move on. If you're faced with it again, then you resolve it. But until that time, forget those things which are behind and reach forward to those things which are ahead. Don't be like Samuel was. Wasting energy, mourning over something that is not going to get better through mourning. 
forgetting those things. It is for us. It only takes one thing to become a those things and enslave us if we're not careful. I don't want a memory to be a slave driver to me. Is there anyone who would sign up on a sheet on the back table if we have on a sign-up sheet for all those who want to be enslaved by some past memory? Who wants to sign up for that? Sometimes we have to even forget and forgive those who have unintentionally harmed us. Even if it was some dumb thing they did. You know, you want to say to some, how could you be so dumb? i got to pay for this now. And God says, even that you've got to let go. This is the case with Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. King Darius signed the written decree. He didn't look into it. He didn't consider it more. He just signs the decree these guys brought before him. Daniel could have said, how stupid is that? And then we read, after the lions did not eat Daniel, the king who stayed up all night praying for Daniel, Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. Not, what are you doing? <laughs> he doesn't strike back at the Darius. It's not a casual, I am here, king. It is telling the king right away, I don't have a grudge against you. This is your doing, and I don't carry the grudge. Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. God knows what he's doing when he puts these things in the Bible. He knows how far they can reach. Who has not forgotten? How about those who want to rub your nose into something of yesterday? Or maybe it's you. You want to do it to someone else. Let it go. It's not going to build the kingdom. Life is going to move forward with or without your forgetting those things which are behind. But as Joseph learned, life is going to move forward and I'm going to keep my eyes on God. And I can't answer every bad thing that's happened to me. I can't explain it. But what I can do is forget those things which are behind and reach forward to those things which are ahead. I cannot erase a hurt from my memory, but I can do something with my faith on top of it. We are able to disallow being overthrown in our lives and in our service by something that's stuck in our head, in our heart. We must reach forward. And Paul, when he says reaching forward, he meant every word of it. He's on his way to, to Rome when he wrote this letter. He has already written Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. And then he writes the, the Philippian letter. And he doesn't even know he's going to uh, get to Rome and, and be released and then go to jail again. I mean, he doesn't know the, all that's ahead of him. He doesn't really care. What he knows, he's going to serve the Lord with what he has right before him. And so in reaching forward, you have to start where you stand right now. Not something to put off. Not something to say, I'll get to it later. Or maybe you're right now, you're free. You say, I don't have any of that. I'm serving the Lord. I have no resentment in my heart. Don't worry, you're going to get your chance again. It's going to happen. Somebody did not, you know, uh, they slighted my child. You know, my kid didn't get to this. So it just, somebody, else, so through some way, now they talk, if they mess with your pastor, you've got grounds for resentment. <laughs> I that's, that's biblical. Somewhere, it's got to be in there. 
There is more to cherish with God. Now, some of you might not like the way this sounds, but think about it. There is more to cherish with God than just salvation. It does not diminish salvation. It doesn't say that there are better things than salvation. There are more things. It's not enough to be saved. The thief on the cross, I mean, it's a beautiful story. But if he were given a choice, don't you think he'd say, but I wish I started a long time before. I got nailed to that cross. Philippians 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his pleasure. His good pleasure, it says. There is the high prize of the upward call. And we all have it. If you've come to Christ, he's looking to work in you for his good pleasure. There is that calling. Paul says, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Paul said, there's a prize at the end of this. And then he says, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. He didn't say, there's a prize laid up for me because I'm Paul and I did all this stuff for God. And others didn't serve this hard. And he did mention at one point that he outserved the other apostles. <clears throat> but he's not saying that this is something just for him. He is saying the reward is for all those who have loved his appearing. I'm almost done. It is good to be preached out of a personal prison. It is good to be preached out of a personal prison. Sometimes you just need somebody to say, snap out of it. Sometimes we just need to hear somebody, a word in season, we call it. Well, God says every Sunday and every Wednesday, at least in this particular church, you're going to get a word in season. Other churches, the same, other good churches, of course, the same thing applies. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 11 the words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. They drive the point home. And when they drive it home, it sticks, if you will receive it. Job 6.25, how forceful are right words. And then he went on to say, but you guys don't have any of them. <laughs> but it's just the fact remains, how forceful are these right words? We love Romans 8.28. But you can lose or misplace it if you're not careful in its application when facing some hurt, even something from long ago. You forget that part about God causes. God causes. He is in control. That's what Joseph was saying. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Bitterness will say, yeah, at what price? Faith will say, what do you care? You're not paying. God is the one that is paid. To those, he continues, Paul does, to those who are called according to his purpose. There it is, that purpose to serve, that reaching forward. Here's a man speaking from experience. Trust and press on. Forget those things or, well, maybe I'll rephrase it this way instead. Forget those things and do the one thing. I press toward the goal for the prize, verse 14, for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So ends part one. If you just stretch a minute, we'll go into part two. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we can't do any of these good things in the scripture without you.
And yet we get so much done with you. You yourself have told us, Lord Jesus, without me you can do nothing. And yet through you we get so much done against the enemy. When we get to heaven, we know that you will make clear to us so many things that you just could not show us right now. Right now, it's the time of faith. It's the season of truth, preaching the truth in faith. We invite you, Lord Jesus, to help us forget those things which are behind and reach forward to those things which are ahead. We invite you to give us the mind of Christ, the Christ-likeness that we crave so much. If you've been listening and you've never opened your heart to Christ, but yet you know God is speaking to you, God is inviting you to belong to Him, to face your sin. Because without Him, your sin is upon you, and so is its judgment, and there's no one that can save you apart from Him. If you make this confession, God will receive you. And if you don't make it, he won't receive you. There's, there's nothing complicated about this. Just take the step. If you say, Lord Jesus, I, I am a sinner. I've broken your commandments. I have been unrighteous. And I come to you and I ask you to forgive me. That you may cast my sins away. I come to you because no one else is sovereign enough, is powerful enough to overthrow my sin. And no one else has died for me in my place, taking my punishment, except you. I come to you and I ask you from this day forward to be not only the one who saves my soul from the judgment to come, but also the one who rules over my life right now. And I give my life to you right here. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer, we ask that they would not be ashamed of it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.